Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey everyone, I'm Ian DeBorha, and welcome to IMDb's Movies That Changed My Life, a podcast where your favorite stars break down the films that made them who they are today. This week's guest is actor Michael K. Williams. You may know Michael from his iconic role as Omar Little on The Wire, but you will soon be able to catch him as Montrose Freeman in HBO's Lovecraft Country, which hits the streaming service on August 16th. Michael and I talk about the only time he got to see Prince live in concert, the future of the African-American experience in Hollywood and pop culture, and the three movies that changed his life. Once again, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to give us a star rating and leave a review because every single one counts. Thanks to Tandems Be Bangin' for the most recent five-star review. Thanks again for listening, and here's Movies That Changed My Life with Michael K. Williams. So this episode is going to be airing on Thursday, July 23rd, which would have been the first day of San Diego Comic-Con. Um, and I know we're going to talk about it a little bit. You would have been there for Lovecraft Country, which is going to come to HBO. Um, but have you been to San Diego Comic-Con before? No, I haven't. I was actually looking forward to um, – I haven't been to any Comic-Con, so I, oh. I was actually looking forward to um, to going to this one. I hear this one is, is the is like, you know, the granddaddy of them all. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it I think a spectacle is is probably the best way to say it. Uh, you did a taped panel for Lovecraft Country for San Diego Comic Con at home, and it's going to come out Saturday, July twenty fifth at four p.m. Uh, so why don't you talk to us about the show? I had a chance to watch the first two episodes, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but talk to us about the plot and who you play. Lovecraft Country is based on the writings of. Uh, a science fiction author named H.P. Uh, H.P. Lo- uh, Lovecraft. He used um, socially charged issues and 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 the bizarre and mixed them together. The Lovecraft Country book is based on the world that H.P. Lovecraft uh, created during his uh, series of books that he had written. The TV show is a story of a black family that survived the Tulsa massacre in 1921 moved to Chicago to start their fa- to start their lives over again during uh, during Jim Crow America, the Jim Crow era in America. My character, Montrose, his wife, who also escaped the, uh, the massacre, they have a child, um, a son, and 
my character and his son, they're always at odds. When Montrose's son becomes a man, the first minute he can he can leave legally as an adult, he hightails it for the military. And we we the story begins with him coming home after five years having been in the military, five years or so. I forget how many years he's been, but he comes home because he gets a letter from his father, a very strange letter from his father, a very out of character letter from his father. And he decides to come home and look for his dad. And um, we go on this journey to find the father. For people who are unaware, um, and you tapped on this a little bit, so Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft, he's a, like you said, he's a very famous science fiction writer, but it, it tackles socio and economic uh, issues as well. Um, and people may not know that they've seen H.P. Lovecraft inspired art, um, but like Cthulhu and things like that, those are all H.P. Lovecraft. And and the film or the show opens up pretty quickly with some of uh, the sci-fi and horror uh, elements. And something that struck me um, was that I think th- this is one of the first shows. Or uh, and and or, or even movies where it, it tackles sort of sci-fi and horror from the perspective of the uh, African American experience. Did that stick out to you when you were reading the script and and when the project was approached to you as well? Wow, brilliant question! And the answer is a big fat yes. <laughs> um, yes, it did. Um, and it, thank you for acknowledging that because you know I've never seen anything like this on on TV before, much less to be a part of it. Um, for me, the, the, the monsters, they definitely represented everything vile in our society, everything from racism, sexism, homophobia, xenophobia, whatever it is that's, that's keeping us at odds. Those monsters, um, they represented that, at least in, to me it did. And to see what these monsters look like the eyes of of african-americans i thought was brilliant it's cool like i mean also an hbo show that came out last year watchmen uh is kind of a similar uh vibe um did you watch watchmen by chance yes i did and you know um you can never get enough of telling the truth or, Mm -hmm. or, or showing something that's that's different the tulsa massacre is a part of american history it's a part of our history and we should we should it's never we can never tell it too many times because there's always someone that may not watch The Watchmen. They may watch Lovecraft. They may not watch Lovecraft. They may have watched The Watchmen. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a great time to, to explore our, our history as Americans and to, to let our children know this is what happened. In terms of the Tulsa massacre, it was pretty crazy after that episode aired. I saw it all over social media. You know, people finding out like, holy, like this was real. This was not uh, fiction. And it was very cool of HBO to sort of tie that in and educate people in the context of Watchmen. Um, and then, you know, I think after seeing, cause I, I didn't realize Lovecraft country was going to be so politically charged. Like when I saw the trailers and I read those synopsis, um, but it's clearly very much like a center story. So I'm really looking forward to see the, the rest of the series uh, when it comes out in August, I'm very much looking forward to it. You and I both, I mean, even though I know what the scripts, uh, <laughs> how, how the scripts play out, it's, right. it's nothing like watching it when all the right. effects and, and everything are all put together. And, you know, and I, and I agree with you, too, that I, I was very happy that HBO um, decided to do this and, and, and to look at the climate that Lovecraft is coming out now. You can't pay for this type of um, synergy. It, mm-hmm. it, it's just the timing couldn't be more perfect to have a show like this on talking about these topics now. What positive effects do you think 
it'll have, um, whether it's on, you know, younger African Americans who are watching the show or just the greater society of America in general, what sort of positive or sort of like maybe awakening do you think Lovecraft Country can have um, just in terms of, you know, everything that is going on in our country right now? One, it's educating. And my mother always said, when you know better, you do better. And it's important, at least for the young people in my community, to know that the, know of the strength that they come from and the the the, the wealth. Like you know, it, you know, the, let's you know, Black Wall Street was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. There was a reason for that massacre, and it's important for our young people to know exactly what Black Wall Street represented to America and to Black people in America, and. You know, so I, I think that, that that's brilliant. While filming uh, Lovecraft, I had been called to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to do a film called uh, Body Brokers. Um, hopefully, do out soon sometime. And and um, I, you know, as a black man from America, you don't go to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and mm-hmm. don't go visit. I think it's, it's Pinewood and Archer. Excuse me. You don't you don't you don't go to Tulsa and not visit that intersection. And um, so I did, and I spoke to some of the ancestors from, from the Tulsians, man, this one brother, uh, Rico Reed, he's actually running for a mayor of the city of Tulsa right now. He owns an art gallery on that very same intersection. And there's a piece there where there's a picture of a woman, a painting of a woman with a piece of tape over her mouth. And um, it, it, it has the words Tulsa riots, but then the word riot is is sketched out, and then the word massacre is wrote on top. So I asked mm-hmm. uh, Rico. I said, "What's this about?" He said, "He said the difference the, the difference between the word riot and massacre is reparations." You know, so mm-hmm. um, the fact that we're in this climate right now, and shout out to uh, I believe North Carolina for um, for doing the right thing and having that and having that conversation of what reparations looks like in this climate today um, for, for black people, um, I think is brilliant. So there's a there's a ton of opportunities to learn and to to see things differently, to re, re, reimagine what public safety looks like with and we can do that from from watching Lovecraft. Beautiful. I love it. Um like I said, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. If you're I mean, it's a little bit of everything, right? It's horror, it's thriller. There's a lot of political, uh, char- politically charged storylines. Um, Lovecraft Country, August 16, 2020. Uh, and then again, obviously, you're also going to be on the San Diego Comic-Con panel for Lovecraft Country. Uh, it's going to be on YouTube at 4 p.m. Saturday, July 25th. You can go to Comic-Con at home for that. So I'll definitely be tuning into that. I'm looking forward to see you uh, and what the rest of the cast uh, has to say about that. Yeah, put on your seatbelt. It's going to be a bumpy ride. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into the movies that changed your life. Let's start big. Uh, the first pick for you was Purple Rain, which was 1984. Uh, it has a 6.6 out of 10 on IMDb, 19,000 uh, stars rate with 19,000 ratings. Directed by Albert Magnoli, written by Albert Magnoli and William Blinn. Stars uh, Prince, obviously, as the kid. Uh Apollonia Catero and Morris Day. Uh, the synopsis is a young musician, the kid played by Prince, is tormented by an abusive situation at home, must contend with a rival singer, a burgeoning romance, and his own dissatisfied band as his star begins to rise. Um, so tell me, when was the first time you saw Purple Rain? Uh, the first time I saw Purple Rain, I had to be a boy uh, like 17. And um, I was struggling. 
I struggled with identity across the board. You name it. I just did not know who I was. And, you know, um, I always knew that something was in me. I just didn't, I, I had no knowledge that it was, you know, it was my artistry. Didn't know how to express it. I had no outlets to express my art. Um, and so when I saw Purple Rain, Prince gave me permission. He gave me permission to do and be me um, on a level that I had never gotten from older men or the big bros or the big homies in my community. You know, I, I was not given permission to be different or to be myself, to be the to be slightly left of center. I was not, I was told to conform and be this alpha male and and dress and be a certain way. And it just wasn't me. And um, Prince gave me was the first thing that I saw that gave me permission to be myself. Um, I remember I I started dressing differently. I, I, <laughs> you know, I, it, it was like the I hung out. Well, my two uh, my two best friends was um, a lesbian by the name of Robin Robin Henry. Um, she and I are still very close to this day. She um, she was my my big brother. In, in, a, in, in a sense. And then I had my, my, my girlfriend, <laughs> Dolores, and us three, we would run around. And, you know, so Dolores and I are of a darker hue and Robin is fair skin. So <laughs> she was Morris Day, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> and Dolores was Jerome and I was Prince. And we would we would run around the streets of New York City, and we would look for we 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 just had this air about us, man. And, and you, you know, um, I remember, you know, Robin. She would talk about me, and I would be sitting right there in the room, and she'd be talking to her girlfriend, and she would call me. She never called me Michael. She always she only called me Kenneth. She would say, "So Nadia, what are we gonna do with Kenneth?" Do you like? Is, what, is he going to model? Is he going to be a, a singer? Like, a rap? what are you going to do with it? But do you see this? And 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 they saw the art, and they saw this delight in me before I saw it in myself. And it was through the movie of Purple Rain, man. I started to explore that in, in, in me, and to, and to try to find out what that voice was that I was hearing inside. That I didn't know how to identify. I love that. That did you run around with? Like, did you start wearing more purple after you saw Purple Rain too, and some frills? You know, actually, that was, I did not want to get beat up. <laughs> I, didn't have, I didn't have that much permission, right? But um, um, I remember, you know, like we all had our, we had our code. We had a code of dress where it was like, you know, the big, thick, black, mm-hmm. Ray-Ban shades. We called them mukas, right? Mm-hmm. And we didn't want anybody in. You put your mukas on. And then, you know, we wore long, black like uh, uh, trench coats, like like cashmere coats, you know, like the old wool old overcoats. We mm-hmm. wore penny loafers, but we were only allowed to put nickels in the penny loafers, right? Mm-hmm. No pennies in the penny loafers. Mm-hmm. And then and we, we we dressed very avant-garde. You know, it was just, it was everything, everything we wore, the wind had to catch it, you know, it was flowing. And it was just like, it was very mod squad, you know? And, mm-hmm. and that was, it, it, we, we took, what Purple Rain showed us, and we we got, we, we we incorporated it, and we we made it ours. Mm. We made it ours. Um, so obviously, you are an actor, and I know you are a professional dancer as well. You dance for 
Madonna and George Michael. Um, and I actually, I'm sorry. I have to, I, I hate to be sticky. Um, oh, please do. I swear to God, I keep saying this. One day, Madonna's going to run up on me and be like, motherfucker, you never danced for me. When the <laughs> fuck did you dance for me? I was in, <laughs> I don't know why that is all over the internet. I did, I I did a video. I did the uh, Madonna's uh, secret video of the bedtime story. <laughs> I've never even officially met Madonna, much less worked for her. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's that's a good that's a good note. Okay, so everyone on the internet listening to this, we need to correct the record. Uh, Michael K. Williams does not want to get beat up by Madonna. Okay, so so let's <laughs> let's cut that story straight. <laughs> Uh, what I was going to ask was, were you a musician as well? Was, um, do you sing or play guitar or anything like that, um, a la Prince? Yes. It, uh, for me, it was the trumpet. Okay. It, it was the trumpet. I, I was in love with the horn, uh, in love. And um, I played in, I started playing in the fourth grade. And I played from, I played in my, in my elementary school graduation. Like, you know, back then we used to actually, the band would actually play Pomp and Circumstance, right? right. I played for, I played for my elementary and for my junior high school graduation, the trumpet. And when I was on prime and ready to go to like an art school to come, to continue, I was told to go to a, a, a vocational technical school. Arts wow. weren't, weren't, you know, were frowned right. upon. And it just wasn't something that you did in my family. And that's unfortunate. That's where a lot of the turn for the worst happened in my life. I made a wrong, I made a lot of bad choices around that time. Mm-hmm. And Purple Rain kind of started to bring me back, bring me back to that, to that artistic voice inside. Didn't know it was going to end up being what it is today. Mm-hmm. I just knew that there was something in me. I saw something in myself that I saw in Prince. So since you were growing up, you know, with Prince and you were, this was sort of, uh, sort of cementing himself as like a legend and becoming the guy that everyone you know knew and loved. Um, what was it like seeing him on a big screen like that in like fully his element? You know, it's, instead of just seeing little music videos or little uh, interviews, you get to see him exclusively for two hours straight. What was that like for you uh, in the theater? Um, um, I can't tell you. Like I, I can still get a, a, a emotional. Um, it was it was for me. It was coming of age. I became I became a man the day I saw Prince on that screen. It 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 was like, you know, his shyness, his vulnerability around around women, his insecurities, the um the uh, the, the dysfunctionalism in the household. Although I, you know, it wasn't as brutal as, as his was, but my family we had our own version of that. Um, it, it was it was just it blew my mind. You know, I remember one of the things that Robin, Dolores, and I, we always said that we were going to um, go to see a Prince concert. That was always our dream, to go see Prince live in concert. And um, that opportunity never presented itself to us as as as, as young people. In fact, I, I, I never got an opportunity. To, I, so I got to see Prince live once. Um, it was at the, he was performing at the South by Southwest uh, mm-hmm. uh, Festival. And um, he did a set in a club, and he did about this. This initial set was maybe I think like an hour or so, and we they kept screaming encore, encore, encore. And he comes back on stage with this little smirk, that little slight smirk, you know, he does, you know, very <laughs> yeah. effortless. He goes, he goes, he goes. Be careful, Texas. I got hits. Like no motherfuckers end up in the hospital with all these encores. Like my, you, you, you will pass out before my catalog will end, right? <laughs> So like, be careful of the encores. 
And I remember when he sang uh, uh, Purple Rain and that guitar lick, that, 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 that first guitar lick, I was, you know, I, I had, um, I was there promoting a film, so I had access to be in the wing. But um, I went and I stood out in the audience because it was, it was the only way to honor my childhood, my experience having seen him on the big screen. I was like, it took, a, it took about 30 years, but I finally made it to the Prince con- concert, right? I didn't have my two friends with me anymore, which made me sad, you know? That was one of our packs that we were gonna go see Prince together. And um, I, w- I was like, I made it. I felt like I had walked from Brooklyn all the way to Texas. That's how long the journey felt for me to see my hero on the stage. And um, when he started with the woo, 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 excuse me, my voice is very hoarse. I'm gonna do this part. I went backstage because I started to I started to well up and um I went back to the wing and you know I used to smoke cigarettes back then and I stood in the dark wing and I lit my cigarette and then this other image, another human being, he stood right next to me and he lit that cigarette same time. And we were sitting there just taking these long long, intense draws off these cigarettes. You just see the red off the stick of cigarette tip. And the dude says, he doesn't even look at me. He goes, man, this song just f***s me up. And I didn't look at him, and I said, man, you ain't saying nothing slick to a can of oil. And you know who that other person was? It was Bokeem Woodbine. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you had these two, like, <laughs> two most Dark skinned, aggressive looking men, you know, in the corner weeping over purple. Rain. <laughs> I mean, if you're not crying when you're seeing Purple Rain live, or you're not even experiencing it correctly, right? I mean, I feel like Damn that's right. Like, I mean, you're you're wasting. You're someone else should be in your spot if you're not getting emotional watching watching that perform live. Um, Damn right, man. Those beautiful stories. Um, so my last question here before I move on is what do you think Purple Rain means? I mean, I know there's a lot of, among Prince fans, there's a lot of lore and, and, and uh, theories about what he meant by Purple Rain. What do you think? What does it mean to you, Purple Rain? Love. Hmm. The Purple Rain is love. I only want to see you dancing in the Purple Rain. I just want to see you dancing in love. Be free. Be yourself. Be you. Do you. Because purple is the is is the highest color. It's the color of royalty. It's the color of excellence. Dancing in the purple rain, dancing in the excellence of yourself, of self love, of self worth. I struggled with that so much growing up, man. And that's what that song. It just it, it's about love, self love. Because you can't love nobody else until you love yourself. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, purple rain, nineteen eighty four. That was a. I got chills during some of your uh, discussions there. That that was some that was awesome to hear here the the full circle of that. It was brilliant. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. 
Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Um, all right, so the second movie... Let's go to 1991's Boys in the Hood. Uh, this is a 7.7 out of 10 with 120,000 ratings on IMDb. Written and directed by John Singleton, starring whew, Cuba Gooding Jr., Lawrence Fishburne, Ice Cube, Angela Bassett, Nia Long, Regina King, Morris Chestnut, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, it's got two Oscar nominations for Best Director. Uh, Singleton was also the youngest director and the first African-American to be direct nominated for Best Director, uh, also Best Screenplay. Uh, the synopsis is it follows the lives of three uh, young uh, African-American males living in the Crenshaw area of Los Angeles, dissecting questions about race, relationships, violence, and future prospects. Um, so tell me, when was the first time you saw Boys in the Hood? Oh, I went out. I went to see that opening night. Um, we went to the Deuce in New York City. That It's now called Times Square, but back in the day, we called it the Deuce, short for 40 Deuce. Um mm-hmm. And um, the, the, actually, the theater I went to see it is no longer there anymore. I was on, I was on the corner of uh, Broadway and 44th Street. And I re- well, just look at the the, the cast, the the, the, the yeah. list of cast mates you could rolled off. Like those men and women, that was what they did with with, with Boys in the Hood. That was the first time that I felt Hollywood came to the hood, came to my community, and and saw me. I, I remember, I, I just, I can't even really put into words what I felt like when I left that theater. I, I felt like my finger had been put in a socket. It, it, I had never, you know, unlike Purple Rain, it was, it was a lot of fantasy and it was, it was shot in Minneapolis. It, mm-hmm. it, but, but, you know, and it, it, although, although it was a coming of age, it was more internal and it, per, it was personal for my relationship with Purple Rain. Black Boys in the Hood, was the boys in my hood like that's that's what I saw every day the I mean boys in the hood was the first thing really to let me know to for me this it was the first time that it allowed me to not be in it but to actually sit down and be a little removed from it and just watch it and boys in the hood was the first time was the first movie the first thing that let me know that this shit is not normal. This should not be happening, and this is not cool that I'm conditioned to seeing this on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. 
it was not cool. And I, 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 you live in it, you get so, you get, you get desensitized. You think it's the norm. You think this is going on in everybody's hood. This is, this is how the world is. Mm-hmm. But to step out, to go, to go to, to a movie theater, like, you know, going to the Deuce was a big thing coming from Flatbush. That was, you know, that's what you did. You know, you, you saved up your little money. You know, you, you had, you had your, your food money, your, you know, your drink money. You had to, you had to plan to go to the Deuce. It wasn't just, oh, I'm going to the Deuce. You know, that was a, that was like, that was the, you know, going to the movies on Point of Deuce was like how, you know, middle class people go to the theater, you know, mm-hmm. to the Broadway show. So what you did, went to the movies on the Deuce. That was special. No rats running across your feet. The theaters are clean. You know, it's yeah. a big thing. And for me to go to the theater looking to escape and to be hit with Boys in the Hood, it was, um, I remember I took the train from, I, I, live, I, I lived in, in East Flatbush, Brooklyn, and my train station was Newkirk, Newkirk Avenue, which is the next to last stop on the two and the five train. You got to catch buses after you, after you get off on the junction. I took a train to 42nd Street to watch that movie. I walked home. <laughs> I promise you that it was a summer night. Me and my homeboy, he was a correction officer. I'm blanking on his name right now. Me and him, well, he was a court officer. Excuse me, I'm blanking on his name right now, my brother. <laughs> we, we walked home. You had a court officer and a, and a recovering addict two brothers, two homeboys that went to see that movie together. And we both walked home. Like, like the first half of the walk was shell-shocked. Like, we couldn't understand what we just saw. I couldn't, it, I mean, that movie just blew my mind. I guess it was, it was the first time that I got to see my community and what it looks like and being, get to get to be a little removed from it. And it was painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you use the word desensitize and that's such a, perfect way to put boys in the hood like um there's so many moments i mean obviously the helicopter's flying over constantly um there's a scene you know when when ice cube is 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 in a fight with ricky uh the mailman just kind of steps over them hands the mail to their parents um there's so many instances where there's moments of violence or crime going on uh in the film and life just continues moving forward um you know i i first saw this movie when i was in high school um, and then I, you know, revisited again, obviously for this and just like myself growing as a human and understanding the world in a much different light, especially, um, I think just in relation to the last couple months, specifically here in the United States, um, it really is unbelievable that this movie got made in, in 1991. Um, and, and something that connected with me and, and that you picked this is that, you know, you said this is the first time you saw sort of your your community and your experiences really put on film. Um, I'm sure fans of you and, and, and fans of this podcast would know that you're most known for playing Omar uh, in The Wire, not only recognized as one of the greatest shows ever made, but one of the greatest characters ever made. Um, and I couldn't help but think, but I, I do you think, or what is it to you that people growing up in similar communities that you grew up in um, the wire probably had the same effect on them as Boys in the Hood did on you. Did, um, did have you thought about that much? No, oh, excuse me. No, I haven't. And to say that, to, I mean that's very humbling. Um, I, I, I guess I say thank you. I would hope. I hope. I would hope. My, I would be my hope that um, the wire um, impacted um, someone 
the way that Boys in the Hood impacted me. I would that would be my hope. That's what we do this for. That's what at least that's what I do it for, to inspire, to to um and to impact. <clears throat> but I, I I would I don't know. I can't. I'm not going to sit and sit and say yes for sure. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean that that was just something that stood out to me. So uh we already talked about the cast. I mean, so many of these people, this this is early in their careers. I mean, this is Ice Cube's uh first acting role, and he is unbelievable in it. I mean, this is a young Cuba Gooding Jr., Nia Long's breakout role. Um, what was it like for you? Were you were you did you already want to be an actor in ninety one or were you still trying to find your path there at that time? I was very much trying to find my path at that mm-hmm. time. No ideas I wanted to be an actor. But I, you know, and ironically, in that film, you know who who spoke to me the most was um, Morris Chestnut. Mm-hmm. You know, he was the ray of light. He was the ray of light that got snuffed out, mm-hmm. and he spoke to me the most. That's what I saw a lot. You know, it wasn't always just gang violence and people murdering people. A lot of times, it was, you know, um, over a girl. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know. One guy got the gun, and the other guy got jealous. He would go get the gun and go kill the dude who had all this promise and potential. This open recklessness, dumbness, nothing. You, you, you know, um, just, you, you didn't have to be looking for trouble to die in my community. And that's what Chestnut's character represented to me. And I saw myself in that. You know, I, I remember walking to the train one day. I would cut through a courtyard as opposed to walking the L around the block. You just cut through it. It was a little shortcut to the train station. It's like seven o'clock in the evening. And I remember being grabbed from the back and thrown face up against the wall. And the next thing I felt was that, that shiny cold blue thing up against my head. And they were going through my pockets. They were attempting, they would they they thought that I was someone. It wasn't this wasn't police. <laughs> Clear that up. It was not police. Um, they were they were they thought that I was um somebody else. And and as they were searching looking for me, I guess they were looking to see if I was strapped or not. But when they they, they said that ain't him, that ain't him, and they kept it moving. I remember I never looked in the direction that they that they went walking. But I remember I, I I kept walking to the train. I was on my way to a dance rehearsal. My knees were shaking. I remember like just like not being able to walk right. Like I said, oh shit, my knees are my legs are wobbly, you know. And and you know, Morris Chestnut. I mean, just on his way to this character, on his way to the store, have his friend, you know, gets him. That's just you look at that today. Now, you know, that's um. The, I mean, it's not the exact same instance, but. That's just how cheap life is on these streets. Mm-hmm. You look at, I saw it today now, we, we can look at that that movie and see uh, 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 Trayvon Martin. He's mm-hmm. going to the store to get something to eat, get some snacks, and comes back home in a body bag. It's, it's incredible how, I mean, incredible and awful, really, about how timeless Boys in the Hood seems. It's, it, it currently is and, and may well be for even a little while longer. I mean, something that also stood out to me sort of in regards to that is Lawrence Fishburne's character. He is, um, he plays Kubik Gooding Jr.'s father in this film. Um, every time he's on screen, he's sort of like giving a lesson, obviously to the, the characters, but he's giving a lesson to, to the people watching the film. Um, the, the thing that stood out to me was there's a scene where, um, 
he drives Cuba Gooding Jr. They go to see a sign. Uh, they see a sign that says, like, you know, new development coming or something in, in the Crenshaw area. And then these other people around the community come up to him and sort of listen to what he's talking about. And he's talking about how, you know, this symbolizes gentrification. This symbolizes, you know, why do he talks about why do you think uh, gun shops on every corner and all that sort of stuff. When you saw that, do you think there was like lessons being told there as well? Absolutely. I did, a lot of that stuff, when I went to see the film and it came out, like I, I, that word gentrification didn't even register on my radar. I had no idea what that word meant. I never, you know, just, okay, yeah, some fancy word. Okay, yeah, people, it just, today, now as a grown man, you know, I understand what that was, you know. <laughs> right. You, you, you know, but, I mean, like you said, that movie was made in 19, 1991. In that in that scene, Lawrence Fishburne's character, he was he was predicting what was to come. It, it was almost like he was looking into the future because gentrification came in and, and, and like me, I don't have to preach to you. You already know what that what that represents now to to, mm-hmm. to, to um, black and brown communities. Mm-hmm. You know, come in, take the property. We you know, and we're asked to go on to the next hood, create the next hood. You know, when they when they, they, they my quotation fingers aside, they want the community. They come right. and they take it, and we're pushed aside. And I had no idea what Lawrence Fishburne's character was teaching us in that scene in that moment. I remember it vividly now as you're saying it. No idea. We're right off my head. Did you, did you have any last things on this? Last notes? My last my last notes is I, I am sorry. I am so sorry for people who are experiencing gun violence now uh, for the first time. I am I, I'm so disgusted that gun violence in our country is still a problem. However, Boys in the Hood gives me permission to say welcome to the party. Hmm. And with that, I'll say, you know, to my community, we need more characters like Lawrence Fishburne for our young brothers and sisters to gravitate to. They don't have to be our biological kids anymore. Mm-hmm. That that's that we 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 passed that now. We got to save our kids, and we need more Lawrence Lawrence Fishburne characters <laughs> in communities that look like mine. We right. really do, and I'll leave it at that. Well, I I know that you do a lot of work for um, underprivileged kids with your uh, Make Kids Win Foundation. So I'm sure there are plenty of people who are thanking you for your influence on, on their communities communities too. So you're doing your part, and I'm sure there are plenty plenty of people who are grateful not only for the characters you play uh, on screen, but also uh, you know in real life you're making changes. So thank you for that as well. Uh, All right, so let's go to your last film here. This is 1995's Dead Presidents. This is a 6.9 out of 10 on IMDb with 19,000 rated. Um, This is directed by Albert Hughes and Alan Hughes, or as the Hughes Brothers, uh, written by the Hughes Brothers as well, uh, along Michael Henry Brown. Stars Lorenz Tate, Keith David, Chris Tucker. Uh, The synopsis here is a Vietnam vet adjusts his life after the war uh, while trying to support his family, but a chance of a better life may involve crime and bloodshed. It's told in five parts about from Lorenz Tate's character during the Vietnam War, after, and then uh, the results, uh, a heist eventually, and what's after that. So tell me, um, what was the first time you saw Dead Presidents? Again, I, I went to the theater to watch this. Um, I was there the opening weekend. So in my family, especially on my father's side, uh, if you didn't get a trade with your hands, which is usually like, you know, um, brick masonry or something mm-hmm. of that nature, you went to the military. Um, I 
I had I had two left hands, so there was no 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 skills here. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I failed at the al- altitude test. I think the al- the al- altitude, altitude test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I failed that five times. No exaggeration, <laughs> five times because um, you had to score higher if you had a GED, which I have, and so I just I just kept missing the mark. Um, but a lot of men in my family, my nephews, my my uncles, my, a lot they my they military is a huge part of my this, my father's side of the family. To see the black experience play out in Vietnam. Again, that was a first for me. You know, all the war movies we had seen were, you know, from from a white person's perspective Mm -hmm. and their experience. And, you know, it was, you know, but when you look at the role or the participation of of Black Americans in, in from like the, the First and Second World War, all of that stuff, the Buffalo Soldier, how much our stories and our experience and our, and our, participation and what we gave our blood, sweat, and tears to, 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 to fight and defend for this country, how much that goes swept under the rug in regards to the stories being told in Hollywood is kind of, it's really, it's crazy. So I, for me to go to see dead presidents, to see, you know, we take these young black boys from poor working class communities, we put them in the uniform, we make them go fight. And then, you know, they deal with the same things that, you know, that white soldiers deal with the PTSD and, and, and everything. And But sometimes, you know, when the white soldiers come home, they have a little bit more cushion to come to land on due to the fact that they were white men and women. Black men and women are coming back to the same disparities that they left when they went to the war. And a lot of times it was worse you know, and then they come back with the same PTSD. I had never seen anything like that played out in story form. And it, it, like you said, this this film takes place in five parts. And so accurately, you know, would come back, you know, with the old, the, um, the brother who ran the pool hall, when he mm-hmm. came home now, things wasn't the same anymore. We see, you know, um, how poverty has beat the community, the community down even more than before, Lorenz Tate's character even went to war. You know, we see drug addiction, which is something that I struggle with. You know, the Chris mm-hmm. Chris Tucker's character. Um, it's just so many different layers and levels that that just blew my mind with the storytelling. But the reason why this movie is on my list is I don't know what Lorenz Tate channeled through this character. I don't know what he was on. What Kool-Aid he was drinking. <laughs> All I know is whatever he, whatever he, whatever space he went to when he was doing this, when he created that character, it came through the projector, <laughs> through the screen, into the theater, and tapped me on my shoulder and said, we're waiting for you. I knew that when I saw Lorenz Tate on that screen, I knew it wasn't a, oh, I think, or maybe it was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. I knew it. I knew it. I, it was just, it was, it, it was put in, it was, I can't even explain. It's, it, it was like, it was no guessing. I'm like, I'm doing that. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to tell stories like this, plain and simple. You two haven't worked together, correct? No, sir. 
Um, have you have you had a chance to interact with him and, and talk to him about that on oh, on a personal level at all? Yes, I did. We we met at a at a, a film festival here in New York City. I think I think they call it the Black Film Festival, the ABFF, the Black oh, yeah, yeah, ABFF. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We we met several years ago. I believe I was either I think I was on the Wire, maybe Boardwalk Empire, mm-hmm. but I know for sure I um I sat him down because I, I believe in giving people their roses while they can smell them. So um I, I um. Uh, yeah, I sat him down and let him know um, how much he impacted me in me, and it was it was his performance. And then I could even the, the particular scene that I can't. It's like they channeled it, man. It was when he came home from the war. He was um, drinking too much. He was mm-hmm. working. In, he had just lost his job at the butcher, the butcher mm-hmm. market, the meat market, and um, his wife. She starts. She's pregnant with their second child, and she starts to sass him. And 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 she you know beats him down, you know, with her frustration. And they get into an argument, and he goes to leave the apartment, and she she grabs him, and she wakes up his PTSD. She runs up from him from behind and grabs him, and he snaps, and he, he proceeds to choke her out on the wall with his seed in her stomach, and the fear in her eyes. Man, it was I just. I guess I've seen I've seen that fear in her eyes. I've seen that before. I know what that looks like, and I also know what that 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 level of being broken looks like coming from his eyes. He he was so beat down. He was so broken, and and you could see it in his eyes. And I said, I know what that looks like. I I've seen those eyes before. I know those eyes. And it was then that um, I, I was born. I was reborn. My my last question on this is, uh, and this kind of I guess goes to Boys in the Hood as well. Um, you know, now that you're however many years removed from living in those communities or, or really experiencing those like in real situations in real time, um, is it hard for you to revisit films like this that sort of bring you back to that? Um, or do you do you think it's important to continue to to think about these things on on a personal level? I watch them like it like I watched it. I I don't turn if Purple Rain comes on my screen. I don't care what part of the movie it is. I watch it like <laughs> it's the first time I watch it. Same thing for Boys in the Hood. Same thing for Dead Presidents. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and they they have so many just just beautiful moments. They're like they're like these, they're literally moving pictures. You know, when you think about uh, Clarence Williams the Third. When he's over that piano with that cigarette, he's just pucking away. Uh, when you know, when, yeah. when Prince comes home and says, "You know, how did mom get banged up like that?" And he says, "Don't, don't never. Are you planning on getting married? Don't never get married." You know, yeah. I, how could you? How could you not want to watch that? That's cinema at its best. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to Boys in the Hood when 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 Doughboy and and um and uh and Cuba's character sitting on the step at the end of the movie. Oh man, and, that monologue! Oh my God, it breaks so your good. heart. How Unbelievable. Could you not want to watch that. He says, I haven't got no brother no more. And Cooper says, Yes, yes, you do. Like I will, like, I I will always want to feel that. I never want to get old or get bored with those stories or those moments because they matter. They help to shape me and they they're still unfortunately so prevalent and relevant in our in our community. Mm-hmm. You know, and we look at right now with um with you know our veterans. The way we treat our veterans, man, 
you know, we need to re-examine that. You know, we talk about Veterans Day, we do the whole pomp and circumstances and, you know, we, we give them, you know, free food and all that kind of stuff. But then once that day is gone, what are they doing for the, you know, no one talks about what our homeless veterans are doing on these streets the other 364 days mm-hmm. of the year. You know, so I, I, I'm, I will never stop looking at those three movies I see them and I watch them and I still get moved. I still get emotional in the same parts, you know, in Dead Presidents, when um when Chris Tucker, they 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 they're coming oh, to um and, yeah. and they find him dead. You know what kills me? That he died watching a little black and white television. And you know, remember do you remember what he was watching? It's Al he was, it's Al Green, right? Al, Al Green on the yeah. Soul Train. And he's singing and he's singing, I'm so tired of being alone. Mm-hmm. How could you not want to like feel that? Yeah, yeah, I still watch those three movies. Long story short, I still watch them. So I have two more questions for you here before we wrap. Uh, First of all, how do you think the portrayal of the young African-American experience will change in Hollywood and popular culture given the recent events? Um, you know, not only in the last couple of months, but in the last couple of years, even, um, I mean, you know, love, like we said, Lovecraft country and, and Watchmen, we're already starting to see some change there. Uh, do you have any sort of predictions or hopes into how you think the portrayal will change, uh, in, in the future? I, I, I'm very hopeful, you know, um, Black Panthers gave me a lot of hope, a lot mm-hmm. of hope. That we're we're okay, 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 okay. You know, <laughs> so I'm talking about yeah, you know. Um, um, mm-hmm. I think that this time it's going to change Hollywood. I think this moment that we're in right now, this momentum that we're in, I believe the impact that's going to have on Hollywood is uh, where we where we place the diversity. You know, I always tell people if you're throwing your shoe, if you're getting angry and throwing your shoe at your TV over an award show, you, 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 you're late. Mm-hmm. You, you missed the boat. <laughs> the, 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 the assault happened three years prior in the boardroom. Right. When they was giving up, when they was divvying up the budgets, when they was talking about which, which movies, which stories they wanted to green light. I said, so, you know, in this climate that I find that we find ourselves in now, I'm very hopeful that is in those rooms, those meeting rooms, where the diversity needs to happen. I know as for me, as for myself, you know, my mind is, my, my psyche has definitely shifted. You, you know, I am, I am personally, cause you know, I have my production company, I have my own yep. uh, product I'm developing and I, I had to come to grips with, I am, I am no longer interested. Not saying that I won't take it, but I am, not just sitting, I am no longer sitting around waiting to be invited to have a seat at your table. Mm-hmm. For me, what reparations looks like, how about you give me my resources, let me build my own table, and I invite you to dinner for a change. <laughs> yes. So that's the, that's the impact that this time, that this movement has had, had on me, and, I, and I, 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 I'm quite certain that my, my younger brothers and sisters that's in this, in this industry they got their eye on the same, that same boardroom that I'm looking at. We need to get our stories and our ideas and our budgets greenlit there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I agree with you 100% on all that. Uh, and then final question here before we wrap. 
Um, do you see any through line between Dead Presidents, Boys in the Hood, and Purple Rain um, as to why these three movies are always going to be with you and how you why you believe they all change your life? Um, you know, um, yeah, I'm going to get really personal here. So, mm-hmm. yeah, um, please. So, you know, um, my sponsor, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in recovery, so I have a sponsor. We, you know, when we talk, when we talk about my issues, they're... Um, you know, we talk about the invisible. He tells me about the invisible man. And um, a large part of my life growing up, I've always felt invisible. And I'm always invisible. No one really sees me. No one really knows me, right? No one, who, who sees me? I'm here. And for the first time when I saw Purple Rain, I felt like, oh, that's what I look like. You know, that's, that's how I can get to be seen. And it wasn't about being a, 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 a entertainer. It was about coming of age, finding landing in my own skin. You know, we talk about boys in the hood, <laughs> blatant. Oh, they see me. They see me. You know. Also, this is not normal. What goes on in my hood? This is this is fucked up, right? It, it, they see me. They, they oh, someone's paying attention. You know, mm-hmm. and and with um with a, a dead president's. There's an anger in my community. There's all of this anger and pent up frustration and self hatred that is 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 um is is palpable, and we we're imploding on it in, in my community. And dead presidents, you know, let me see that. You know, dead presidents. We always look at the what people did. We very rarely look at the whys. And dead presidents gave me a view as to this is how someone ends up having made a really f***ed up decision. That out of the desperation, you know, and that spoke to me. I've been desperate. You know, anyone that's, you know, has a drug problem tell you about the, de- the, des- the desperation and the mm-hmm. disparity. And so it spoke to me. That's, that's my through line. Being, going from being invisible to, to seeing myself to being seen by society, to dealing with my anger and my frustration and my poverty. Beautiful. This was an awesome uh, conversation. I'm, I'm very, very glad we we got to book this. Oh. Um, yeah, th- yeah. This was awesome. I thank you. I'm har- having a hard time processing a lot of the things that you said that we got to talk about today. Um, but but thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Um, Again, folks, uh, Purple Rain, Boys in the Hood, Dead Presidents. You can also see Michael coming up in Lovecraft Country, which is going to come out on HBO on August 16th. Uh, But before then, you'll be able to see him with the rest of the cast of Lovecraft Country at the San Diego Comic-Con at-home panel uh, Saturday, July 25th at 4 p.m. You can go check it out uh, on YouTube there. I appreciate the time. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to head over to imdb.com slash podcasts for more content on Michael and to easily add the movies that changed his life to your IMDb watch list.